two more messages in Galatians. One this morning, and then a very special way to finish our study of the book of Galatians next Sunday, which I look forward to. I want you to as well. Everybody organizes their life around something. There is a center to all of our living, something that drives us, something that moves us. It's a combination of our understanding of the world, what we value, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of God and life and eternity. And based on our understanding of those things, we organize our life in a particular way. When Jesus Christ enters our lives, when we are converted to him, our lives are changed. And it has a way of reorienting our orientation for living. It changes how we look at life. We are no longer the same. We're looking at one verse today in the, this uh, set of verses that close the epistle in which the Apostle Paul says, I bear in my body the mark uh, the marks of Jesus Christ. There, there's a sense in which Jesus Christ marks us. Has he marked you? Does he mark me? How does he mark us? And is he the organizing center of the way that we live? As we finish the book of Galatians and Paul gathers up all the threads of the themes that he has discussed so far, he's asking us these questions. Come with me to Galatians 6. Verses 11 through 18, the last seven verses of the book. Here we will ask three questions, and they relate to the themes. Is Christianity outward or inward? Is Christianity human or divine? And finally, what are the marks of the people of God? Which is another way of asking, is this Graceland at Calvary or is it something else? See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Is Christianity outward or inward? That's the first thing he discusses in verses 12 and 13. The first two questions of the outline come from John Stott's thoughts on this passage. I couldn't improve upon them. My 
discredit him for these two questions. Is Christianity outward or inward? Does the gospel grow in, outside in or inside out? Which is another way of saying, is the central issue our heart or is the central issue some externals? Now, in verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is saying that circumcision, which was the celebrated issue in Galatia, it was the issue that caused all the problems. Jewish people came to place their faith in Christ, scratched their heads and says, what do we do with the law of God? I know what we'll do with Judaism. We'll keep a part of it. Let's say it's faith in Christ plus being circumcised, then that's when you are a Christian. So they celebrated circumcision, a fleshly outward act as the key. Religious people have a tendency to focus on externals, outward behavior, things seen. To paraphrase, you could say, uh, man looks on the outward behavior. Yes, he does. But God looks on the heart and sees the invisible, unseen parts of our responsiveness to him. When Jesus Christ enters our lives, our heart is changed. We're given a new heart. The heart is always the issue. Jeremiah, long ago, 600 years before uh, Jesus came, he said, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. He said, the mark that God needs to put on your life is a newly fashioned heart. Paul says the same in Romans 2.29. He says the same in Galatians 2.11 saying, what, you think circumcision is a deal? Listen, here's the deal. Get a circumcised heart. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Or as he describes it in Romans 2.29, the circumcision of the heart. You see, according to verse 12, uh, circumcision is a fleshly, showy, religious, I got to do something act. And it does not represent true righteousness. Verse 13, they were using circumcision as, as, as some kind of achievement. Uh, let's see who can get the most people to be circumcised. He says in verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. You know, they like to accent that part of the law, you'll know, be circumcised. They're not keeping the rest of it. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Yeah, Lord, I'll tell you what, I got 10 people to be circumcised last week. I really, you know, we're really doing it here in Galatia at the first church of Galatia. Satan is really good at promoting spiritual pride. Do something. Take credit for what you've done. Be religious. Have an external outward manifestation of your faith. And for some in Galatia, they were following these leaders who said, hey, go out and get circumcised, then you got it. Christianity is inward, not outward. And because it's inward, it grows inside out and affects how we relate to others. Christianity is inward, a work of new creation in our hearts. Notice verse 15. Paul says, look, circumcision is not a big deal. By the way, we could substitute the word baptism. Uh, uh, by that, I mean that uh, baptism is viewed by some as, oh, if I'm only baptized, then I'll be okay. Uh, you can be lost and separated from God 
and get wet in a baptismal font, that won't make you a follower of Jesus. But it is when God creates a new heart as you give your life to him that you are made brand new. Now, I just been through two weeks joyfully with a group of people in a baptism class. We baptize folks here, but it's to celebrate in this ritual that Jesus asked us to do visibly what invisibly cannot be seen in the work of grace in a person's heart to be made brand new. Here Paul says in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What really counts for something is when God makes your heart brand new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's the word used here in Galatians 6. Behold, the old is passing away and the new is and the new has come. Now, people in the car business generally don't appreciate uh, my strategy. Uh, I get a car, try to get a solid car, and then I try to take care of it and stay right on the edge of all the maintenance quips, and then I drive them into oblivion. And um, I, 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 the car repairman, especially as the car ages, he begins to love me more and more and more. But there comes a time when the outward reformation of my car finally hits the wall. And he'll put his arm around me and he'll say, Eric, don't you dare put another dollar in this car. Because there's no outward inducement of health that promoting the life of your car. We've done it all. There's, there's nothing further we can do. The next thing you need to do is scrap this car and start over. Uh, once in my life, and only once, but once in my life I said, oh, well, let's not scrap it, let's just get a new engine. So we got a new engine, suck it in, and, and kept going for a while. Now, whatever you think of that strategy, some people use that as a category to think about self-reformation, you know? Tell you what, religious, being religious helps you be better. Yep, I'll, just, I'll, I'll get better, and, and I'll repair this, and I'll repair that, and I'll repair this, and I'll repair that. And God puts his arm around and says, no, it's not a matter of self-reformation. It's not repairing yourself. You, you can't repair your heart. You got Adam's heart. We all do. And our first inclination is not to please the Lord and obey him and find our joy in him. It's an indulgence. And we're really good at ruining ourselves. And so he says, no, no it's not a personal work of reformation. It's you need a new heart. And God is pleased to give us that in Jesus Christ. Religion may be about self-reformation, but what we need is a new heart. We need to be changed, born again. Our life rearranged. Remember, Jesus said, Nicodemus, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. It's not a matter of being a Pharisee like you are. And by the way, Nicodemus, you're really good at being a Pharisee, but you need to be born again. You need new life. You need to be given a new heart. And God is very pleased to give us the very thing that we need. And so the question before us this morning is, have we ever been born again? It's good news because it's a super break to realize. You mean, Eric, I don't have to reform myself up to the point that God finds me acceptable? Yeah, that's the good news of the gospel, that God makes you acceptable in Jesus Christ, and that's the heart of the message of Galatians, and that's what he's been pounding at six chapters through this great book. 
Have you been born again? Have you ever humbled yourself to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? He's reaching for you this morning. More willing than you could ever understand to give you a new heart. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but by the washing of regeneration and renewal brought about by the Holy Spirit. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about being born again, about being regenerated, about being dead and then made alive through the Holy Spirit. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Has God brought you here this morning, either online or in person, to come to know Him? Christianity is inward, a work of new creation in our hearts that grows outward. So is Christianity outward and showy? Or is it inward, internal, living, and substantial and bleeds through into every part of our life? Of course, the latter. Second question, is Christianity human or divine? Now, these first two are related and yet separate. Circumcision is what we do. It's a human act, a human step toward achievement. Look at verse 12. All who wish to make a good showing in the flesh. Religious activity is feigned to be a good showing. But it is fleshly. It is not. Our religious activity is not the activity of God. That's the activity of our flesh. The 20th of July, 1969, Neil Armstrong hopped off the ladder in the lunar module and said, of course, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. Some view engagement in what they call religion as a human activity that's taking them in steps toward God. The Bible and the gospel doesn't describe it like that. The Galatian false teachers were saying, you want to get, you take a step toward God, get circumcised. To embrace the cross as God's means to bring us to himself is to embrace something that God did, not something that we do. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why it's so glorious. It's what he does and what he has done. The cross is not about our achievement, but about God's achievement in Christ. The gospel is about God's work through our crucified Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a natural work, fleshly, something that we construct ourselves through a lifetime. Go get circumcised and a million other religious activities to be involved in. That's not Christianity. The gospel is the story of God's work. Paul distilled the message down to a bite size that we can understand. And notice who the subject is and who is at the center. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now you look in vain to find out our action in those verses defining the gospel. It's not about what we did. It's about what God did in Christ. And it's the most glorious dead in all of history because in his love, he offered his best and opened the door to a relationship with him and invited everyone who is willing to come, whosoever will 
may come. The gospel is about embracing the cross and its benefits, but don't miss the scandal of the cross. To Jewish people, the scandal, the, the cross was a scandal. That's, he's already talked about that in Galatians 5.11. The curse of the cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Uh, Galatians 3.13. It's a scandal. It's offensive. You know, it's interesting, and you may have one on this morning, and, and it's, it's like, no doubt, the most beautiful jewelry we've ever seen, and it looks really good on you. People wear the cross. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Uh, the cross is an emblem of death and ignominy and curse. And people wear it in identification with the death of Jesus. It, it'd be like a, a, a sweet lady going up to the uh, kiosk for Pandora jewelry and saying, Hey, I want to buy the uh, emblem of the electric chair today. I just want to wear that on my wrist thing. You know, I, just, I think that'd look really good. Or my necklace. I, give me the electric chair one. Or, hey, give me that IV bag that's full of all that cocktail that they use in the death house to kill people. I think that'd look really good on my necklace. You know, just I'll celebrate that. That's what we are doing when we embrace the cross. Because the curse of our sin fell on Jesus. It's horrible. And glorious simultaneously because our hell went there so that we won't experience hell in the age to come. That's the glory of the gospel. It's about God acting to do it. God purchased our eternal salvation in the death of Christ. But to embrace the cross, we must reject how highly we think of ourselves and our ability to do well. Because not only will circumcision not get us there, neither will any other good thing because it is the singular basis of Jesus Christ who gets us there, who he is and what he did and what he promised. John Stott said, men do not like it, the cross. They resent the humiliation of seeing themselves as God sees them and as they really are. They prefer their comfortable illusions. So they steer clear of the cross. They construct a Christianity without the cross, which relies for salvation on their works and not the work of Jesus Christ. They do not object to Christianity so long as it's not the faith of a crucified Christ. But Christ crucified, they detest. And if preachers preach Christ crucified, they are opposed, ridiculed, and persecuted. Why? Because the wounds which they inflict on men's pride. What are the marks then of the people of God? There are three of them. And he closes the book with them, 16, 17, and 18. The three distinguishing marks of the people of God. And as we go over these, we need to ask, do they mark us? Is this who we are at Calvary? First is grace, a humble, gracious heart led by the Holy Spirit, defines how we live. You say, Eric, what's the organizing principle that what you talked about at the very beginning? What pulls everything together? The nixus, the center, what is it? It's Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit living in us. Remember Galatians 2.20, that iconic verse that many of us have memorized. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One distinguishing mark of the people of God is grace. Graceland. A humble, gracious heart led by the Holy Spirit 
which defines how we live. He says in verse 18, grace be with you. In verse 16, peace and mercy. This is the franchise of this new creation gift. We are given grace. We are given peace because he has extended his mercy to us. And a life characterized by Jesus is this life in the spirit. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And there's a humility to our existence. This is not attained by human merit. It's not because we've been circumcised or any other thing like a religious stunt that we've done. No, it's a gift that we've been given. What do we have that we have not been given? Grace shapes our outlook, our worldview. It puts to death the ways of the world, and it shapes how we relate to others. It's not only grace. The second distinguishing mark is holiness. Holiness. A repudiation of the corrupting values of this world's way of life. Verse 14 is a fascinating verse. Think of it with me. But far be it from me to boast. Paul, what do you boast in? I'll tell you what I boast in. I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What effect has it had upon you? Well, it's had two effects. By the cross, the world has been crucified to me. I put the world up there and the world's ways... All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life, it's cosmos, it's the world system, all that makes the world go around and the corrupting indulgences that we give to. You know what Paul said? He says, I put those things up on the cross and I've just crucified them. And then I put myself up and I've crucified myself in relation to the world. I'm not going there. That's not who I am any longer because God has made me new in Jesus Christ. And new in him, my life is distinctive, and it is different. Jerome said this world that he's crucified is all that stands at enmity with God, the spheres of pleasures and ambition related to fleshly indulgences. Paul said, you know what, I've crucified that. Verse 16, he says, now I want to identify a group of people who are authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, he says, and as for all who walk by this rule, by this standard, all who are given to this way of life, peace and mercy be upon them. Then he says in verse 17, using a word in the original that is from which we get our English word stigma. Stigma. Paul says in verse Uh, 17, for now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the stigma of Jesus. Certainly, it is self-evidently clear that Jesus creates a stigma in our age. He says, I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Now, he may be referring to the fact that in Lystra, one of the cities in Galatia, they stoned him. And literally, he bore in his body. He's saying, I've taken up the offense of Christ because I crucify. I don't care what the world thinks of me. I don't care what the world thinks of my hope. I'm now possessed by a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. That's what the lyricist said. And Paul, so possessed, said, you know what? I've crucified. I've put the world up on the cross to be crucified, and I've crucified myself to the world. I'm no longer in bondage to those cravings that are constantly inviting 
my participation. Now remember, crucifixion is a slow and methodical death. And so let me ask you, is it going on in our lives in relation to the world? Holiness. F.F. Bruce said Paul made a radical reassessment of everything in his life in light of the cross. Have we? Have you? Have I? Finally, family. A fundamental identification with the people of God. Notice verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. A fundamental identification with the people of God. Now, there are several things going on here. Remember, all through this epistle, there's a Jewish vibe. You have Jewish, Jewish people, ethnically, who've come to place their faith in Christ. They've owned him as Messiah. Then they faced what they felt like to them was a dilemma. What do we do with the law? Are we supposed to keep, what, what do we do? I don't know what to do. Okay, let's, let's, let's be, it can't just be believe in Jesus, can it? We got to add a little bit of the law. We got to bring a little bit of Judaism. So there's a real Judaism vibe and they concluded, let's promote circumcision and that'll get us enough Jewish and we'll be fine. Well, here he says, That the people of God, he calls them the Israel of God. He's saying, who are the true Israelites? Who are the true believers in God? Who represents him before the world? We could use as a synonym phrase, and it would, it would mean something and be equivalent. We could say the people of God. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the people of God. What does he mean by Israel of God? He's needling them a little bit who is really israel who is really faithful to god if you want to hold out the jewish people as god's special ability? is it not those who have received jesus christ as savior they are the true people of god for abraham and his children they look forward to the messiah for followers of jesus christ we look back to jesus christ who has come and he calls the church the israel of god now this is Messed with a lot of people's view of the church and future things. Does this mean there is no distinction between Israel and the church? Answer, no, it doesn't mean that. I mean, Peter got with Jesus after the resurrection and before the ascension. He said, hey, Jesus, is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom for Israel? He does not say to Peter, Peter, you're an idiot. That's never going to take place. Why are you thinking about that? That's a stupid idea. Don't you understand that it just that the, the church fulfills every promise made to Israel and there's no future for Israel? No, he didn't tell him that. He just said, Peter, that's not for you to focus on. Here's what to focus on. Go to the upper room, get the Holy Spirit, and tell other people about me. He didn't correct Peter. In fact, you can't read the prophets which describe the glory of a restored Israel at the coming of Jesus. You cannot read the prophets without realizing there's a future for Israel. Where do all those lines intersect? God knows, but here he says, and there is not discontinuity between the Testaments. There's continuity. The people of God look forward to the fulfillment of the promises for Messiah. The people of God now look back. We are all the people of God. That doesn't mean every Jewish person believes in Jesus. It just means every Jewish person who died believing in the coming of Messiah and every Jewish person after the coming Jesus who's recognized him as Lord and received him and every Gentile person who's received Christ 
is a part of the people of God. Does this mean that, that we're supposed to read uh, Israel as just uh, bleeding over into the church and Israel losing all its distinction? No. Does this mean the amillenarians are right and the premillenarians are wrong? No. He's just using this figure of the people of God to mess further with the false teachers who are upsetting the cart in Galatia. Does this mean there's no future for Israel? No. Not at all. Now, Paul's point, which can get lost in the whole theological discussion, is this. One mark of the people of God is family. The Israel of God. You're sitting with family this morning. Do you recognize that? Do you value that? Do you appreciate that? You know what families do? They bear each other's burdens. They love each other. They're quick to forgive, and they know that everybody needs forgiveness. They know that everybody's fighting battles. They know that Psalm 23 and Matt sitting there singing that with Jay this morning would have ministered to people because we all need goodness and mercy to follow us around, and we're all facing threats. It may not be, you know, the, the, the army surrounding the city, and there's nothing to eat, but he's prepared a table before us, but we're nonetheless facing threat, and aren't we all facing threat in the middle of this COVID moment, whatever on earth? it is we need the people of God and Paul says you have it and those authentic recognize it first John three fourteen, John said we know that we have passed out of death into life how do we know that because we love the brothers and we love the sisters that God has brought us together with what do you think of God's people by the way COVID has tested our resolves and relatedness to church is church important or is it not? That's one of the questions COVID is asking us. By the way, are you a lone ranger or do you identify with the people of God? Church membership is identifying with the people of God in support, in mission, in joy. So we conclude and ask this morning, does grace, holiness, and family shape us at Calvary? we close the series asking the question, are we Graceland or not? That's what God has called us to. Father, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who through the cross has brought us together to a living hope, a forgiveness that we could never have achieved on our own, a status with you made right coming as a gift, a future and a hope secured. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross and all that was accomplished. Drive the force of it home and create in us a more gracious community. Create in us a more holy community. Create in us greater bonds as family, I pray in Jesus.